Hello, and welcome to CDCR Unlocked, the podcast of the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. My name is Chrissy Hohobashvili, and I'm so excited to share with you an episode from the Division of Rehabilitative Programs, who sat down with Joseph Sickler. And Joseph shares his journey of rehabilitation all the way from starting a basic computer literacy class to where he is today as um, released from prison and really thriving as an iron worker. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. My name is uh, Joseph Sickler. I'm a union iron worker with Local 378. So there's a wide range of things that 378 does. So we have reinforcing, which is placing the structural rebar to build the buildings. We have structural, which is putting up the columns and the beams, ornamental, such as stairs, railings, any of the metal you see encasing any of the high-rise buildings is considered ornamental. The glass that you see on the buildings is ornamental. And that's what I'm doing right now, putting the glass. They're called curtain walls on the side of the high-rise buildings. So that in, encompasses everything which an iron worker does. Uh, before incarceration, I was pretty much just wild. You know, I had no direction. I, lived on the streets so you know I got into a lot of you know negative activities so I sold drugs stole whatever I could to finance you know buying more drugs or just to, anything to do to get money to support myself and maintain the lifestyle that I was living and ultimately it all started unraveling because I started using drugs. So now I'm selling drugs and I'm using drugs and I'm almost selling drugs to support the habit that I got. And my life kind of spiraled downhill. So I ended up getting, uh, getting myself into a situation where I was selling drugs to a guy and the situation just kind of went south and I just ended up taking his money from him. And, and it was it was ridiculous, like $120. So it really, at that time, I mean, $120 didn't really seem like much. And even though I knew what I was doing was wrong, I had this false sense of reality that if you're someone like me and you were in this world that I lived in, that we were all fair game. And I justified a lot of the stuff I did by saying, well, I'm not out robbing normal citizens. I'm not kicking in people's doors. So I remember he didn't, he didn't um, like call the police or anything. And all he wanted was his wallet back. And the reason why he wanted his wallet back was because he had a picture of his, um, his daughter in the wallet. And he hadn't seen his daughter for like five years. And it, it kind of hurts me now to think of it because, you know, I have a daughter now. And I always knew like what I did was wrong and I regretted it. But I think when I had my daughter, it kind of really set in like what I took from him. Yeah, it's just, it's something I still think about because, you know, my daughter's 11 months old and she's everything to me. And then when I look back and think like, what if I didn't have my daughter and all I had was one picture and somebody took it? From that point, 
I was sentenced to nine years, six months. So for robbery, use of a firearm and commission of crime, enhancements. So it came out to around nine years, six months. I went to, I went to prison, the reception center in San Quentin. And from there it was like, I didn't learn my lesson of anything. It was like, I just went into a whole new world of, I could do whatever I want to do basically. And it was just one problem after another. I surrounded myself with people who were like me, didn't have direction, got caught up in the politics of the system. So for me, it was like, this is it. This is like a life sentence. But that just goes to show like the immaturity of my thought processes where I, w I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. It was just like, you know what, instead of even thinking and focusing of what I was gonna do to try to get myself out of the situation, I just made it worse for myself. And then I went to um, High Desert State Prison. That was a big reality check to me because now it's a, come from an environment where didn't follow rules, didn't take orders from anyone, did what I wanted to do, and had no discipline to a place where now it's like, you better follow rules, you better do what you're told, or there's repercussions, and those repercussions can be life-threatening. So I was there, and I ended up getting in trouble in prison. I ended up catching a attempted murder case there. I stabbed another guy, and from there, it was the sense of hopelessness just got to the point where I didn't even care anymore. I just figured, you know what, this is my life, this is how it's gonna be, and I accepted it. So from High Desert, after that situation happened, I went to Corcoran Shoe. And I was in Corcoran Shoe for, supposed to be for three years, for after court, it got dropped down to assault by a prisoner with a weapon. So I got nine more years added to my sentence. And instead of, once again, thinking, man, I really dug myself a big hole, no. The praise you get from doing it, you think you're somebody, it just led to another incident on the hard yard where I caught another assault on another prisoner with a weapon. And it just never ended. Nothing was ever good enough. Everything was, it was almost like every, everyone was out to get everyone else. It was like a fashion contest or see who's popular and everybody's backbiting to try to get to some theory of you're gonna be the man one day, but you're never gonna be the man. And I just said I was done with it. I don't wanna do this. And I started thinking like, I have two choices to make. I could either stick with this and never get out and probably get killed in here or just die in here from being old. Or I can stop, stop the games and try to figure out how to do something differently that I've never, never done before. I went to Kern Valley State Prison. They, they had this program come that they were, it was like a pilot program to where Bakersfield College was gonna go into the prison and actually teach, teach college classes. I have all this time on my hands. Why not give it a try? What's the worst that could happen? I could fail. So I signed up for it and I was part of the first cohort of classes we had a, a professor who 
Out of everyone I met in the initial stages of me changing, this, this man was probably the most pivotal for me because never had I ever looked at another man and was like, that's what I want to be like, never. Mr. Hirayama was our public speaking professor. He came into the prison and the way he came in was, was cool because they initially were going to start a math class and the professor found out that it was a, a level four maximum security prison and he just wasn't comfortable doing it. So Mr. Hirayama stepped up and said, hey, I'll do it. So the first class I, I took was public speaking. It ended up being a situation where I, I, I seen it was something that I was good at, just doing the work. And it not only just doing the work, but now I had a sense of direction, I had a schedule, I had things to do, I had somebody that was looking over me to correct me and tell me you could do this better, you didn't do too good at that. And it was all positive feedback. The CTE program, looking back, was pivotal in, in where I am now. So the first CTE program I took, which was office services, was pivotal in allowing me to learn how to use a computer, how to type, but even more so, it was the instructor Mrs. Fogel, who took the time to actually teach of what was needed to excel through the course, went above and beyond with even though it was a, com a computer class, assisted me in learning math so that I can excel in my college classes. So that was the start of me in CTE. And that let me know that CTE was actually something that I wanted to do. I wanted to be behind the wall going to vocation during the day. The next CTE class I took was with Mr. V, which was building maintenance. That class was different in the fact that I was able to do a lot of hands-on, a lot of building, and learning things that were actually relevant to the trades out here. Even though that was for carpentry, a lot of the skills that I learned in that carpentry, such as reading a tape measure, being able to take a print of what needed to be built and build it. I completed that program and then became a teacher's aide in that program. Every, every aspect of that building maintenance program, from reading a tape measure, being able to use power tools, which is a big thing, You'd be surprised how many people that come into the trade that don't know how to read tape measure, don't know how to use power tools safely, people that can actually get, get themselves hurt with these tools. So to start that in there, when I came to the Iron Workers Union, I already had a head start. I knew how to read tape measure, I knew how to read blueprints, I knew how to take direction from a boss, from a foreman. I knew there's a chain of command. You just don't do what you want to do. And you do what you're told to do, and that's it, because there's repercussions. You don't, you don't get to make decisions that you're not paid for. You're not, I'm not paid to make decisions on structural things that we're building. I'm paid to do a job that's, that's very specific, and anything outside of that job, you have to ask what needs to be done. So all of these things came from being in that CTE class. I would always tell myself, 
the one thing that I always thought would be the indicator that I've turned my life around would be that when I'm in society, the people I'm around would never know that I was in prison. And it's, it's, it's interesting because I'm actually like that now. I have a coworker that I'm with. When I told him I wasn't gonna be working today, that I took the day off to do this, he's like, where are you going? I said, well, I have to do this interview. And, and he started questioning like, why? And, and I told him, I was like, this, this is why. And he's just like, he was blown away. He's like, he couldn't believe that I did 19 and a half years in prison. He's like, I would have never known that. He said, because he's been around people who have been in prison and they, their aura, their attitudes, the way they interact is, you know, totally different. And, but like I told him, like, I've worked really hard so that people will not identify me as that. So for me, that was just one more um, affirmation of I'm still on the right path. I would have to say that for my final thoughts is just to thank every um, every single person that you know does what they're doing to try to you know get people to think differently and do things differently so that one day you can have a good life. You know, taking that first step to change my life and it was a process. It didn't happen overnight. It took years and years because you figure it took me all those years to get myself in that situation, you're not gonna do one or two years and break that train of thought. So every single person, every ill tech group I took, every vocation I took, every professor I came across, every class I took, even the people that work in there. There's a lot of people that are genuinely good people that are there doing their job, but they would like to one day see you be gone and never come back. You know, I still communicate with people that were pivotal in, in this. And for me, it, I kind of look back and, and think of it as if I can show them that your time was worth it, then maybe it would give them affirmation too that, you know, this guy, I helped this guy change his life and it's worth it to them. And it's, it's a lot easier to do good and change your life than it is to keep down that negative path. It's a lot less stress. The stresses are there, they're just different. But hands down, I, I gladly accept everything that I deal with now compared to everything that I had to deal with before changing my trajectory in there. I don't look over my shoulder. I don't, I don't you know, have any, any, any fear of people. You know, I just, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty nice. And not only that, but you start seeing is that, you know, there's a lot of people that benefit from the, from the things that you learn while you're in there. And there's a lot of people that need those, you know, kind words and guidance. And, you know, it, it really will help, help you in your life. So taking the OTAG groups, doing college, being a part of CTE programs, whatever it is that you can do to gain that, it's, it's valuable, it's very valuable. That's another reason why I'm here. I could, I could be working right now.
I took the day off work to come here to do this because I feel like if there's even one person that this might help, then it's worth it to me to be here just to say it's, it's, it's hard work, but if you don't want it, it's not going to happen. It doesn't matter how many people want you to do good. If you don't do it and you don't put in the work, it's never going to work. That is such an amazing story, and I hope everyone enjoyed it. One of my big takeaways was really how all of the teachers along the way really made an impact with Joseph. So thank you to all of them and to all of the educators, both inside and outside of CDCR. That's it for CDCR Unlocked, the podcast of the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. You can find us anywhere you find podcasts, or you can visit us online at cdcr.ca.gov. Thanks for listening.